Hello, and welcome to the East Anglian Theatre Podcast. Salutations and greetings. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I think this is about episode 34 now, and I have to be frank, I wasn't sure when I started that there was an appetite for it, but the number of requests I've had lately for interviews tells me otherwise. Anyway, what kind of greeting is that? My name is Ray Tempesta, and I'm the incompetent moron that started this whole thing with absolutely zero knowledge about broadcasting or audio. But against all odds, I seem to have done okay. Now, if you're new to the podcast, then you are very welcome here. But I'll give you a quick outline of how the podcast works. It's split into three parts. Part one is where I rattle on about some of the theatre things that I've been up to lately. Part two is the pièce de résistance, where you get to hear from someone usually more charismatic and informed than me, as they tell you about a production or a company that they're involved in. Now, once I'm done boring them to death with unoriginal questions, we move on to part three, where I take a brief look at some of the upcoming shows and audition opportunities in the region. That's all coming up, of course, but first, let me tell you about my social media stuff. The East Anglian Theatre Podcast has various pages on social media for you to like, follow, share, interact, or whatever. There's also a website, eatpod.co.uk. That's eatpod.co.uk. Here you'll find all episodes of the podcast, plus the reviews I write for the shows that I've seen, and you'll be pleased to know my writing is better than my oral skills. You can also use the website to get in touch if you'd like to be featured on the podcast as a guest, or if you'd like me to give a shout-out for a show you're involved in. Anyway, let's move on to part one, where in the absence of friends or relatives that are interested in my artistic endeavours, I rather pathetically have to ask myself the question each time, Ray, what have you been up to theatre-wise lately? Well, thanks for asking. Like the word profusion, it means a lot. Since the last episode was published, which was earlier this week, not a great deal has changed, to be honest. I've been back and forth to Sheringham on the North Norfolk coast for the final couple of rehearsals and then the opening performances of Hobson's Choice at Sheringham Little Theatre. Now, all apart from an overlong scene change that really winds me up between Acts 3 and 4, things had gone very well, and it was practically sold out on the opening night, which was fantastic, and best of all, great for the theatre itself, for whom this was something of a fundraiser. I've also been reading a book called Break a Leg by Jenny Landreth. It's a sort of memoir manifesto about amateur theatre, including bits of her family history in her local society and interspersed with some historical details about the beginnings of community theatre in the UK and also mention of some notable companies across the country. Now, I'm about halfway through the book so far and it's a really entertaining read where, if, like me, you've been involved in amateur companies for most of your life, you'll find yourself nodding and smiling along to some of the ridiculous tidbits about what goes on behind the scenes. Who knows, when I've finished it, I might give it a proper review. And speaking of reviews, I mentioned last time about the three productions I'd seen recently and the reviews I'd written for each of them, which are still available on my website, eatpod.co.uk. Now, if you like what I do with regards to reviews and you want me to produce one for a particular show, do feel free to get in touch. Where possible, I will always try and make the time to go and see local productions, so do drop me a line. At the very least, it's worth letting me know what's happening locally, as although I try and keep my finger on the pulse, it's almost impossible to keep up with everything that's going on. But anyway, enough about me, and what about you? Do let me know on my social media channels what theatre things you've been getting up to lately and any shows that have impressed you, or ones you'd recommend I see. 
Now, anyway, let's move on to the main feature, and I'd like to introduce you to the director of Suffolk-based Irving Stage Company's latest production. Her name is Christian Jenner, and she is directing Agatha Christie's Murder on the Nile, which is set to open at the Theatre Royal Barry St Edmunds in mid-April. So, without further ado, which is a shame because I do so enjoy and ado, let's have a chat with Christian, shall we? Hi there, Christian. How are you? Hello, Ray. Very well, thank you, Ray. Nice to meet you. Lovely, you too. Now, first things first, how about an introduction for the listeners to both yourself and Irving Stage Company? My name is Christian Jenner, and I am a long-standing member of Irving Stage Company, which is based in Barrister Edmonds, but which has members from all over the county and beyond, actually, um, and is celebrating its 65th anniversary next year. I have been uh, with the company since about 2005 uh, as mostly as a performer, but I've done, I have done three directing stints. This is my third now with Agatha Christie's Murder on the Nile. We do plays and musicals. We are incredibly fortunate to be able to perform at the Theatre Royal in Barry St Edmunds. Wonderful building, last working Regency Playhouse in the country. And that really is a gift to us. So, yes, so we are uh, amateur dramatics. I, you can say community theatre, but actually amateur, the word comes from love, from loving theatre. And I think that that's what we do. We love it. It is, we quite often say it is our passion, which is a little bit over the top. But you do need to be passionate to do amateur, amateur dramatics because it is outside the rest of your normal life and you have to find the time. <laughs> mm, yeah, absolutely. So let's turn our attention to the production that you're directing. Obviously, as you mentioned, it's uh, by that young up-and-coming go-getter, Agatha Christie. Yes, yes. <laughs> so Murder on the Nile. I mean, there's plenty of Agatha Christie novels um, that have been adapted yes. to the stage. But what, what, what is it about Murder on the Nile that, that made you want to stage it? I think it's one of her best stories. It's a typical closed room mystery in that there are a group of people and bullets start flying and it must be one of those people. That is an absolutely typical Agatha Christie plot. So this play is her stage adaptation of her book, Death on the Nile. And there has been recently a few, so there was the Peter Ustinov version, the David Suchet version, then Kenneth Branagh did it. But the stage version is actually is actually quite different. It's it's the same basic plot, but because very early on in her career she was burned very badly by people really scalping her stories and doing really bad adaptations, making Poirot French and everything, that she stopped putting Poirot in her stage adaptation. So this is not a Poirot. There is a kindly English clergyman who has many of the same lines as would be familiar from Poirot, but he's the one who does the denouement and finds the, the killer killers. Um, we'll leave that one open. This, this for me is her golden age. So it's 1935. It is in a steamboat on the Nile. It was a boat that she went on with her husband, the archaeologist Max Malawan. Um, and it just has that wonderful nostalgic feel. I think a lot of Agatha Christie's, it's not just the plot, it's the feeling that you can step out of what is a quite frankly humdrum world now and go back into the nostalgic world. It is a different world. It is a different world. And that's what we are trying to create. It's also an absolute humdinger of a plot. It really is. So that's why it's so attractive. 
And also there's an element that, you know, we were able to get it. Um, it's quite difficult to get the rights for Agatha Christie's. The family hold hold the rights very, very close. Um, so we were just delighted to get it and we are enjoying putting it together. Mm. And speaking of staging it, isn't most of it set on board, dude? So the entire action of the play takes place in the observation saloon of the Nile steamer Lotus. So at the front of the boat... So it all takes place there as they are sailing. Although they're sailing south, they call it going up the Nile from from a place called Shalal to to Wadi Halfa. Um, so it all takes place during this journey. And, you know, they stop off at Abu Simbel and places like that that will be familiar to people who either know e- Egypt or know this story. So, yeah, it all takes place there over a few days on this voyage, which around the centre of, of the this honeymoon couple, Kay and Simon Mostyn, it's their honeymoon cruise, and the other people on the boat, those relationships, those characters. So, yeah, all in one room. And, and when it came to choosing this production, did you consider any other Agatha Christie plays? Or Yes, yes. Yeah. So we have done Irving a few years ago. We did And Then There Were None. And we've also done The Unexpected Guest. What attracted me to this one particularly was quite a lot of Agatha Christie's. If you look at the cast, it'll be 10 men and one woman. This one has got a really even split of men and women. And it is, we've got, We've got a lot of members of of both gender, but it can be punishingly hard to find really good character parts for women to play. Mm. Um, And that's something we always want to, I mean, our main, so we have in Irving, it's about doing shows that our our members want to do, that our audience wants to see, um, that we can feasibly stage. I mean, you know, someone said to me yesterday, why have we never done the play that goes wrong? Because you can't you couldn't possibly stage that it's too complicated it's so technical isn't it it's so technical and and with you know a company that has six shows you know a tech and a dress and then six shows can't be done so you have to consider all of those sorts of things um and for me this one was very much about being able to cast a show that that I knew a lot of people would be interested in and we were overwhelmed with the interest so which was great and i had to disappoint a lot of people which was very Sad, but I've also um, was able to please um, a cast of 12, which was brilliant. Yeah, it's quite a nice problem to have that, that people want to be involved. Yes. And presumably you can feel confident that the audiences will want to come and see this. Agatha yes. Christie's are always popular. Um, they are. Wh- why do you think that is? You know, after so many years, why, why do you think her popularity in, endures? I think, and it's, I mean, you would say it's very English, but they're popular all over the world. She's the world's best selling author. I think. For a lot of them, it is a, it's a safe place. <laughs> it's a safe place. People know what they're going to see. And I think that's really important. And I think it's increasingly important for people with money less available. The characters are fantastic. The plots are so clever. I guarantee that there will be people sitting in the theatre who think they know what the plot is, but they will get so wrapped up in it and what happens and the red herrings that are flying in all directions that they might actually forget or just just be really confused about what's going on. I think it's it's pure and simple entertainment and nostalgia. Mm. I mean, you know, you've only got to look at things like Downton Abbey, you know, so many television programmes still evoke a feeling of nostalgia. And obviously there's more modern stuff as well that people enjoy and that we've done as well. But I think people will always have a special place in their hearts for something where they can just sit back and relax and enjoy and watch good actors do good lines 
in a good plot where everybody is speaking in a little bit clipped voices and having cocktails and wearing nice clothes and observing the social order. <laughs> I think it's very attractive to people. Absolutely. I, I couldn't think of anything better to be doing right now. <laughs> you mentioned about Agatha Christie being the, you know, the, the best-selling author. With popularity comes diehard fans. Mm-hmm. Do you then feel any pressure in so, the sort of standard of your production, but just um, with yeah. the way it's staged and, and your choices as a, as a director. Yes. So you want people to feel we've done proper justice to the script. And I mean, that there is there is an issue where, you know, people are very, people think it's a Poirot. It is a Poirot. The book is a Poirot. So I've been very, very clear on all our advertising, on all our websites and everything. This is not, I mean, I haven't said this isn't a Poirot, but I've gone... The detective in this case is a kindly is a kindly clergyman, um, because you know if people are coming in expecting to find the fussy little Belgian, then I don't want them to be disappointed. But hopefully, they will be swept up in the action. And it's also very funny. I mean, that's the other thing about Agatha Christie. A lot of her characters are inherently funny, and you can tell because it was all her, it's all her stage directions. I mean, it is entirely her envisaging for the stage of her story. And for me, if she's made those characters slightly ridiculous and funny and say ridiculous things, then we should absolutely play that element of it for laughs because then it contrasts with the very serious stuff that's going on where people are being murdered Mm. and um, deceit and subterfuge is going on as well. So I think it is Irving Stage Company and the very Theatre Royal are not for me a place to, to challenge theatrical assumptions there are plenty of places that do that I go and see lots of shows like that in this case this is Agatha Christie as you expect nostalgic 1930s during the empire people behaving as you would expect uh, and, and the, the perfect setting for it really in, in the perfect in, setting and just giving the indication of it's hot and they're tight, you know, and all of that. And there's Abu Simbel and the Baedekers and, you know, all of that kind of thing and the respectful stewards. And but but I mean, what we we don't do, of course, is things like I have. I mean, nobody from a different ethnic background came forward to be cast. So our stewards are both gentlemen from Suffolk who are white skinned. Now, in the past, I was watching something the other day where somebody was blacked up. Of course, we would never, ever do that nowadays. So I think, and also this slightly, how would you put it? Slightly it ain't of hot mum language. I think we need to steer away from that. I think people are perfectly happy with people having a very, very slight accent to differentiate themselves from the English or German people on the boat. But there's none of that sort of cod egyptian i've got some arabic lines in it i've a friend of mine who lives in dubai has translated i've it says at the beginning the steward and a a bead seller are speaking in arabic and we've put together some lines just as a preset because i think you know that's interesting to do so you have to be careful of those sorts of things Mm. you know we're not going to have people and also yeah i haven't got people wearing fezzes because I was actually quite recently, they've been rerunning Fortunes of War. I don't know if you ever saw that BBC series with Emma Thompson and Kenneth Branham. So it was from a brilliant book by Olivia Manning. And it's all set in the 30s and 40s in Egypt. And the servants, so I have a steward and a bead seller, they're not wearing tarbouches or fezzes or whatever you want to call them. They're wearing 
sort of turbans. And I've checked with with friends who live there, you know, and that's how people would have been dressed. So I'm not playing into those kind of race racial assumptions. And I think that's fine. I don't think you need to do that to make people feel it's the 1930s or anything like that. Mm. Um, so I'm, we're very aware of those. I just think there's some things you just can't do anymore yeah it, it's <laughs> okay. interesting it, it's interesting you sort of broach the subject of, of that kind of thing to do to do with the language and sensibilities of the time compared to nowadays yeah uh, with the recent furore surrounding um Roald Dahl's books yes and potentially altering the text and I noticed on Facebook I'm on some Agatha Christie fan groups that broached the subject about that about how they'd all feel if if the language in in the novels was altered for a modern audience uh, absolute no no for me yeah. this is this is Agatha Christie writing this is what I mean I, I think personally I think altering a writer's words if you're offended by it then don't read it it's as simple as that it's as simple as that I find it offensive and I'm a journalist I find it offensive to the extreme I just don't think I don't know where this comes from I don't know who suddenly decides you know oh we can't do that and I and I just don't think it's right for Agatha Christie you know it mm. is set at a time when Egypt was part of the British Empire. Now, you know, that's when it was set. That's how it is. People have got servants, they've got staff, they've got attitudes towards foreigners. Now, the play does not say that's right at all. It's no. it's just presenting a group of people as they are. The only reason I've put some lines in in Arabic right at the beginning, because it says they're speaking in Arabic. So I've literally got a few lines in that a friend of mine has translated for me and and done done us whatsapp messages just because i think that's just something quite interesting to do hmm. um but i would never i would never change language like that i mean you know people people it, the thing is it then starts to jar you know it, it, you know it's not what she's actually written I yeah think. i mean it's it, it's it's a slight insult to audience's intelligence in a way yes. um, to to suggest yeah. that they don't understand that 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 yeah. isn't correct by today's sensibilities. No, but. exactly. No, to describe. You know, pe people keep going on about he's a foreigner. They're a foreigner, but you know that's people were very much like that, and you know, I and and they were very happy in the David Suchet version to have people calling him a horrid little Belgian and you know you jack and apes and all of that because I think she was saying. I mean, you know, I I don't think she for a moment thought that was the right thing to do, but you know she's presenting a certain set of characters and that's just how it is and you know it's not to say this is right or this is acceptable it's to say this is the play mm -hmm. here we go I've been reading about um, a new production of The Merchant of Venice where Tracy Ann Oberman is playing Shylock obviously a Jewish actor mm -hmm. and she's writing about it and you know it and Taming of the Shrew is the other one that that modern sensibilities you know, it's it's almost impossible to stage now, either of those. But actually, there are still there is still a huge amount of racist behavior going on to all sorts of different races. And there are still people abusing other people. So to be mm -hmm. honest, and, you know, the plays were written at the end of the 16th century. So I, 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 and I think it is just genuinely so insulting, you know, open up and have the conversation. How do you feel about that? You know, how do you feel about that character? How do you feel about how Shylock was treated? How do you feel about Katarina is treated? How do you feel about the people on the boat are just kind of clicking their fingers and ordering a brandy from, from somebody? But then having said that, I've spoken to the my colleague James, who's playing the steward, and I said to him, you know, you own this boat. This is your boat. You know, as far as you're concerned, they're your guest. I mean, you're not, you're a steward, but you have great dignity 
You're not kind of shifting around like a little servant. You have a job to do, like the servants in Downton Abbey. You have a job to do, but you have your own dignity in your role. And you react when they behave badly, when the passengers behave badly. So I think you can give inherent dignity to people, however they are being portrayed. You know, And that's mm-hmm. not changing the script or changing the sensibilities or anything like that at all. It's just looking at how you can direct a character and actually the character James that he's playing that he's very he has a great natural dignity anyway and I love the way he's he's playing it I mean think of Hudson in in Upstairs Downstairs Gordon Jackson you know there's 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 no shame in being a servant or in offering service so yeah so you can get around those sorts of conversations and I just think give people the benefit of the doubt that they understand so and speaking of the direction, how are the rehearsals going? I mean, you're, I guess, about midway through the rehearsal process yeah. at this, this stage. So we've blocked everything. Um, we start running acts on Monday. We're running act one next week. And then we will go into a bit further down the road. We'll go into running the whole show. They're going really well. They're great fun. They're really enjoyable, which is as important as anything else to me and to Irving. Mm-hmm. Um you know, as I said, this, you know, this is a commitment that you take on when you do amateur dramatics. And so, it, yes, it has to be hard work and it has to be absolutely striving for, for professional standard. And we have a lot of professional people in our company, quite a lot of people who train professionally, work professionally, and for whatever reason have not, or or some, some of them still do. You know, there's people who run theatre schools and things like that, but they just enjoy the variety that the dial shows give them. So we strive absolutely for professional standards, but it has to be, it has to be fun because you're asking people to trek out from their homes at night for hours to rehearse. And, you know, so, so it's very, very enjoyable. They're working very hard. It's a, a very engaged cast, which we always have. So when I, when I say that, I mean, they're very supportive with with finding costumes, with digging down into their character, with coming up with ideas, um, with giving me props, <laughs> all of that kind of thing, you know, offering help for the technical stuff that needs to be done. So, so yeah, it's going really, really well. And But on Monday last week, or Wednesday last week, I did say to them all, so now it's next month. <laughs> so, um, and that was that, a moment that, of... That scary <laughs> point of time where you think, uh, I, have to let, yeah. I have to let go of my safety blanket in the script. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, our prompt, Julie's, we're very lucky. We always have a prompt because I think it just helps people to feel more confident. So our prompt is joining us on Monday. So people are going off book now, which is great. And moving on from from Murder on the Nile and onto your own experiences in the theatre. And is there a particular standout moment or any particular proud moment from your time on stage? Yes, actually. <laughs> so I've directed three times. I directed Oklahoma few years ago and I directed season's greetings at the end of 21 and those were both hugely hugely enjoyable and I was very proud because it is quite hard directing Oklahoma was more difficult because it it I mean I did it as a collaboration with with the music director and with the choreographer um but it's just one of my favorite shows and I saw the national version many many times with Hugh Jackman and I sort of based the general feel of it on that um slightly different with the play because I'm a very text driven person but actually Probably the most enjoyable. I mean, I love all our shows. I love all our shows. I did actually stop the show a couple of times when we were doing Stepping Out. So in recent years, I've lost quite a lot of weight and I was much bigger then. And I was um, the character and I was kind of swathed in a silver bodysuit. 
and um, from head to foot and walked down the stairs. And it literally did stop the show because it was hilarious. I looked like an oven ready turkey. Um, so that was great. I mean, that was a, that was just a moment because I just think making people laugh is just such it's such a cliche, but it is such a joyful thing to do. Mm. Um, and also a few years ago, um, we did Romeo and Juliet in the Cathedral Garth in Barry St. Edmund's outdoor production. I played the nurse. And that was lovely because I absolutely adore Shakespeare. I love Shakespeare. So that was a huge thrill to be able to do that. But I've, I've enjoyed all our shows. We did a wonderful production a few years ago of probably my favourite musical, Jesus Christ Superstar. And our fantastic director, choreographer, and our, our artistic director, Sean Couture, brought that together. And I think I enjoyed that more than anything else than we've ever done because it's such an amazing show. And it was a fantastic company um, of people. So if I'm looking back at my years with Irving, I think probably Jesus Christ Superstar was my was my number one moment. Yeah. And, and before you joined Irving, mm-hmm. what else had you done? Where else had you been? So my family, my father's family is, is very theatrical. Everybody's either professional or amateur. And my grandfather was a composer and my grandmother was a singer and a chorus girl in the Edwardian in Edwardian London. And my cousin's an actress, my aunt's an actress and everyone does theatre. But I so I was brought up on it, always taken and did loads at school and university. And then because I'm a journalist, when I went to work in it, I was always working shifts variously. It was I could never make the commitment to do uh, theatre because you, there's just, you know, you work ridiculous hours. So eventually when I moved back from London in 2004, that was one of the reasons I came back was to be able to take part in a choir and, and a theatre group. So I started I started then. But my all my years in London, which was about 30 years in all, I basically, when I, whenever I could, I was at the theatre or the ballet. That's Those are my great passions, classical yeah. ballet and theatre. So I saw hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of shows because literally three, four times a week I was watching shows. I mean, everything you could think of it's because you can do that when you're in London. And I went up to see a friend in a play weekend before last uh, and I'd love to go and see it again, but it is you know, that's up in Finsbury Park and it's so hellishly difficult to get up to things. So I just don't go to see as much as I would like to now, simply because it's just such a palaver. Mm. You know, when you live in London, you literally can, it's sort of seven o'clock thing. Oh, I know I'll go down to the ticket off ticket thing and see what's available or, you know, but now you have to book everything in place and get everything done and the train tickets and then the trains go on strike. So I think a lot of my theatrical experience comes from being a punter to be honest but I've been very very lucky in the last 15 years or so to just have a fantastic experience with Irving so yeah and I was going to move on to actually asking about stuff that you've seen recently Mm -hmm. is there anything that you have seen recently that's left a lasting impression or good or bad yeah yeah so in October I went to see I love David Tennant I've always loved David Tennant I loved him pre-Doctor Who and I loved him during Doctor Who but I saw him in all those you know he did the pillow man and all sorts of spectre hand and all sorts of stuff and I I saw him at the RSC and things and so I've always admired him enormously and he did this brilliant play Good which has now been nominated for lots of Olivier Awards and I knew what it was about and I'm very interested my parents were very interested in in history and so I'm very interested in the Second World War and I know it's awful to say I know all about the Holocaust I know all about what happened in Germany I go to Germany on holiday two or three times a year but actually it did completely arrest me it did completely arrest me I did not expect I knew what the play was about. I didn't. It was so brilliantly staged. And there were a couple of moments where they staged it so brilliantly that it was a total shock. 
and just absolutely got me very, very deeply. So that was marvellous. And actually the play I saw a couple of weeks ago, which is a new play, and it's a sort of a tryout at Finsbury Park. The Park Theatre is the kind of place they do that. It's called Winner's Curse. And it's by Dan Patterson, who did all the, um, whose line is it anyway? And Daniel Taub, who's a former Israeli ambassador. And it's about, it's fronted by Clive Anderson, who's sort of playing, who kind of gets very interactive. He's kind of hosting it more than acting, which is a good thing because not his strongest point. But it's, uh, it's about, it's looking back 50 years to sort of interestingly with all the Ukraine and Belarus and all of that, it's about um, two countries in the Balkans fighting over land and it's about how diplomacy and how deals are struck. And it was, it's, it was very, very good. Um, I did enjoy it. I, I'm not sure it will get a transfer because theatres are hard to come by and I think it's of limited appeal. And mm-hmm. I think as with us, if you're going to put something on, it's got to be something the punters are going to come in and see in their droves. And and I just think a lot of, unless it's at the National or the Donmar or the RSC, I think really challenging theatre is really hard to get on nowadays. Yeah. Um, but it was very, very interesting. It was an interesting, interesting piece. Um, and my next thing is the ballet, Sleeping Beauties. <laughs> I love the ballet. It's interesting. So they, at the moment, they're doing a new piece. Well, they've done it before, but a piece of contemporary dance um by wayne mcgregor well it's contemporary ballet it's classical ballet called wolf works it's a three-act ballet about virginia wolf and it draws from lots of her different books now that is an absolute example of where if i wasn't living in suffolk i would have gone to see that but it's just not worked out and the day i could have gone there's a rail strike so that i think is very frustrating and every time i do go to the ballet or a theater and i'm wandering through my old haunts I walk everywhere and thinking, okay, should you move back to London? Should you move back? I won't, but it does. I mean, Berry, we're so lucky in Berry and in East Anglia. We have so much. I also love choral music. I love the King's Singers. I go and see a lot of choirs. I love all of that. And we have so much of that around here, but it's not quite the same. No, um, no. I mean, I, I'm I'm very, very spoiled where, where I live in Norwich. Yes. I mean, I've yes. got, well, I mean, there's about four or five different theatres just in yes. the city centre. I live a 10 minute walk from a theatre. So presumably whatever you do next would be with Irving Stage Company. We, yeah. yeah, as soon as this is over. So we've, we're doing a few, we're looking at sort of doing a few fundraising socials over the summer. We do quite a lot of fundraisers with the Theatre Royal, but these are sort of individual within within Irving. And they're more, not exactly open mic nights, but they are opportunities for people to come and show what they can do. Because we do have a very, very talented lot of people around us. And uh, then in July, we will start uh, casting for Sweeney Todd. Demon Barber of Fleet Street musical. Um, and we're now currently planning our schedule for 24 spring, autumn, and then into 25. So, so is, it, is, it, is it typically three shows a year? Two, two shows two. and a fundraiser usually, okay. or a couple of fundraisers. So, yes, sometimes a play and a musical, sometimes two musicals. Depends really on. We very much get are led by our company. Um, we tend to do, I mean, I think a Sweeney Todd. I mean, a lot of the musicals that we do really demand excellent acting. So, if people like doing plays. You know, something like Sweeney Todd is is great to do because it's it's acting. It's it's a it's a play with a lot of music, but it's it's really a play. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So that's so that's what the next one that's what the next one is after this. And we'll we oh, in fact we're just sending out an update to apprise everybody of when we're going to be auditioning for that. <laughs> yes. It never ends. So yeah, uh, is is that on what presumably November? 
November. Yes, yeah. probably starts probably around the 7th of November, that sort of time. And then following May, we'll be doing. And then we're we're looking at doing um, a couple of these fundraising events in the summer and probably one around Christmas. We've been trying to do a Christmas fundraiser. I mean, they're not directly, it's not a huge fundraiser. It's lovely if we make a bit, but it's really for people to have opportunities to show what they can do mm. um, and work as a company because that's what we, you know, it's, it's keeping going. It's keeping going is what we is what we aim to do with really quality stuff. That's that's our aim. Yeah. Well, I think that just about wraps everything up, really. We've covered quite a lot of ground there. Yes. Um, yes. So finally, just a bit of promo work for, for Murder on the Nile. When is it on and where can we get tickets? So it's at the Theatre Royal in Bury St Edmunds. Easiest way to to book is either through our website, irvingstagecompany.co.uk, or through Theatre Royal, or one word, theatreroyal.org, um, and go to the booking page for, for Murder on the Nile, which opens on the 18th of April and runs until the 22nd with six performances. And yes, we would love to see anyone who would love to come and see it. And if you do, and then you find me in the bar knocking around, come and say hello. Fantastic. I hope to be there. That so. would be lovely. So there we have it. That was Christian Jenner from Irving Stage Company. Now, if you want to catch their production of Murder on the Nile, as she said, it's on between the 18th and 22nd of April at Theatre Royal Bury St Edmunds. For tickets, visit irvingstagecompany.co.uk, that's Irving, I-R-V-I-N-G, or the theatre's website directly via theatreroyal.org. But now we move on to the home stretch, and let's take a very brief look this time, sorry I've not much time to do my research, at what else is coming up in the region in the next few weeks. Well, if you want a bit of Agatha Christie in your life, but Bury St Edmunds is too far away, how's Wyndham for you? For non-Norfolk natives, that's spelt Wymondham. The Wyndham players are presenting Witness for the Prosecution at Wyndham Central Hall from the 26th to the 29th of April. Tickets for that are available via windhamplayers.org.uk. Now, if Wyndham's a bit of a stretch, but you really want to see Witness for the Prosecution, well, you're in luck if you're based in Suffolk, as the Harston players, under their touring alter ego, Swift Theatre, will be touring their production of the Christie Classic between the 20th and 29th of April, and they're playing at the Cut in Halesworth, the Fisher Theatre in Bungie, and Harston Sancroft Academy. Now, rather than read out all the details on here of their tour and the various dates and bits and pieces, Visit their social media account for more details. And, of course, I'll share it on my social media account too. And finally, Cambridge Youth Theatre is on the lookout for auditionees aged 9 to 19 to join their summer school, leading to a production at the end of Frozen Junior. The auditions take place on the 23rd of April. And for details, visit camtheatrecompany.co.uk. And that, folks, is all I have time for. As usual, I'll feature links on my social media accounts for all the shows and auditions mentioned, as well as a few others that I haven't. Thanks so much for listening to me and Christian ramble on, and tune in next time to hear from someone else. Possibly Echo Youth Theatre, possibly Bring Out Your Dead Theatre, depending on which of their shows is the soonest. But anyway, in the meantime, take care of yourselves, and go watch some theatre. Bye! (laughs)